That's typically when we grow the most, right? Is when we put ourselves in kind of uncomfortable situations. We also learn the most when we fail at stuff. So if you are totally against all risk and totally against all rejection, sales is not gonna be a great environment for you. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you'll get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show, but I could not be doing this thing alone, so let's check in with the co-host, Justin. What's up, man? I'm just packing up, getting ready to go down to Dallas tomorrow morning. I'm going to visit one of my best friends, TJ, give him a shout-out down in Texas. We're going to Billy Bob's in Fort Worth, which is marketed as the world's largest honky-tonk. It has live bull riding inside of the bar, so pretty excited for that. That sounds like a grand old time, Justin, but before I get yapping about what I'm doing, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. One of the best ways to protect your family is with term life insurance. Even though we don't like to think about it, it's important to have financial protection in case the unexpected happens. Bestow is an awesome and reputable life insurance partner of ours that makes this process simple and easy. They use data to remove doctor visits and paperwork involved with the traditional life insurance process, and you can apply from anywhere in just minutes. You don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops to determine your eligibility. You'll receive an approval response right away. It literally took me less than one minute to get my estimated quote, and you can go do the same. Get your free and convenient quote by visiting thefyshow.com slash bestow. That's thefyshow.com slash bestow. B-E-S-T-O-W. Bestow. Life insurance made easy. So I actually just got back from hiking Machu Picchu. It was an adventure. It was absolutely incredible. Stunning views. I'll definitely be posting pictures in the Fi Show group. And speaking of just wild adventures, maybe not Machu Picchu style, but career style, today we have on Gina Horky, who has been through it all. She had the traditional corporate job, and now she's running like 97 businesses at once. But I'm not going to take away all her thunder. Take it away, Gina. I feel like it was always a part of my upbringing to some extent because I grew up kind of poor. And so money was always, we'll call it an issue, but more of a challenge that I guess needed to be solved. So we joke with our kids. And when I say we, I have a sister that's two years older than I am. And like we took them all to Target recently. And I want this. I want this. And and we were both like, do you know that, you know, we used to have to buy our own clothes when we were like in middle school and like anything that we wanted, special shampoo or conditioner or any of the things, it was up to us to figure out how we were going to pay for it because otherwise it just wasn't in the budget. And while you're there in middle school, what kind of jobs are you picking up to, to start paying for some of these things? Yeah, that's a great question. So my very first paid gig non W2 would have been just babysitting which is pretty normal, especially for adolescent girls. But I started doing that at 11 and I started babysitting like babies, like full on infants <laughs> at 11. And, you know, again, we look at our kids and we look at our nieces and nephews and we're like, oh my God, those parents were crazy. Although we did a great job, but we would like stay overnight. And they, I remember this one family, they had kittens and probably a puppy and like three kids. And you're managing all of this as an 11 or a 12 year old. And Yeah, I guess I was responsible enough to handle that. But I uh, went from babysitting to washing dishes, and I always smelled like French fries. That was amazing in a little cafe downtown where I grew up. So after that, it sounds like that's kind of middle school, high school. What did you seek out in terms of college? Did you have like a game plan? I know you mentioned you had came from more of a frugal, kind of had a poor upbringing. Did you just go for the money straight away? Yeah. So actually that drove my whole college experience to tell you the truth. So I graduated with my bachelor's degree when I was 19 years old. I turned 20 a whole week later. And the whole reason is that I'm a late May birthday, but also because I went to college when I was a junior and a senior in high school, full-time moved out of my house because the community college that I attended was like an hour away. So it wasn't feasible to really commute to and from. But in the state of Minnesota, where I live, they have this thing called the post-secondary enrollment options program. They didn't advertise it very heavily because I think the schools, the public schools, like lose funding when you're not at the school full time. But the state of Minnesota picks up the tab for you to get your college education on. So I did that for two full years. And then I transferred to a university and finished up. If somebody was looking at doing a program like that, what are some of the pros and cons for a high school student? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it would have been ideal if I could have 
lived at home. I mean, I, my experience would have been totally different, but I wasn't able to play sports anymore. And I was big into sports and then I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed team camaraderie, the activity of it. I wasn't like the best athlete ever, but I'm definitely more athletic than not. So that was a big thing that kind of sucked. It also drew me away from my friends because I literally wasn't around. And so people, you know, like I have this core group of high school friends now and we'll get together from time to time. We're all moms for the most part. And we'll start talking about people from high school. And I'm like, who in the hell is that? Like, I don't remember (laughs) this person. And a big part of that is because it's been, you know, so many years. But the other part is that literally I don't remember a lot of people because I wasn't there those last two years. So definitely cons would be, you may or may not be able to continue to play sports. And then, you know, if you're full-time and you're off campus, it can be hard to maintain friendships for sure. Our kids go to the same school district that I went to and graduated from, which is ironic because when I pictured myself later in life, I thought that I would not get married until I was like 30 and, you know, have have kids shortly thereafter that. I would live in this big city, definitely not in Minnesota, New York, or at least Chicago. And here I am in the same school district. I got married at 21. I have two beautiful children, but my life plan didn't really happen the way that I thought it would at 16. I'm very blessed, however. <laughs> All right. So you get out of college, you graduate, you're 19 years old. What does that first job look like? Yeah. So I did the babysitting thing, the dishwashing thing, the dishwashing thing turned into a waitressing thing when I was like 15. And that was pretty lucrative, you know, because you could influence the amount of money that you made to some extent by showing up with a positive attitude and doing your job well. So I think that was kind of my first taste at some sort of like sales or commission type of an environment. And then when I was in college, I started working for a weight loss company and I did sales for them as well as like consulting, helping people to reach their weight loss goals. And then as I graduated from college, I landed a job with them managing a center and it was supposed to be like a temporary thing, but I ended up doing really well as far as increasing their revenue and, you know, managing their staff and things like that, that they let me do it full time reached a glass ceiling really, really quickly. And that's when I looked into what am I really going to be when I grow up? And I fell into personal finance. So I became an advisor. So how do you just fall into personal finance? Like there's got to be a little more or something there that kind of pushed you down that road. Sure. You know, I was a psychology major in college because I liked my intro to psych class. Mr. Heinrichs did a very good job (laughs) at proving that that was going to be a very interesting field of study. And it was. And for a hot minute, I thought I would go on to become like a family therapist. Right. But then I was like, oh, I'm 19 years old. I don't really have any life experience. And who's going to want to take that sort of advice from me? So I didn't continue on with my educational journey at that point. Although I'm fortunate to have like that psychology background because I feel like it was a really interesting field of study, but it also really forms a basis of any type of career. Like getting to know why people do what we do is pretty fascinating stuff and it helps you in sales and marketing and all that good stuff. So falling into personal finance, I think I came across an ad and honestly at the time it would have been 2004, I think I started looking into all of it. Might have even been in a a newspaper. Gasp. (laughs) It might have been online, but I like monster.com or something like that way back in the day. And it was a couple interview process. And then I had to go through the whole self-study and licensing component of it, which the insurance side of it was really easy. The Series 7, I'm pretty sure I failed my first time when we got into options and things like that. Like my 20... 21-year-old brain didn't really compute that very well at that time. (laughs) So yeah, so 21 years old, I started this career in personal finance. And, you know, the great thing is I learned so many skills, especially in sales and marketing. I learned a lot about having a or reinforcing the work ethic that I had already adopted through my upbringing. You know, we worked six days a week, 10, 12 hour days. We're not uncommon. You were out of your comfort zone all of the time because our main job in the beginning, in addition to learning the world of personal finance, was getting clients, right? And doing financial planning and retirement projections and all of that fun stuff. And I really loved that part of it. I like planning for goals. I like breaking down bigger picture or bigger goal stuff into smaller components and figuring out how to get to the next stage. What I didn't really care for is all the compliance and paperwork and stuff that comes within (laughs) that industry. 
because there's a lot of it, honestly, and, and lots of silly hoops that you feel like you had to jump through. So I also started right before the Great Recession. What wonderful timing to build a, a career in financial services, right, guys? <laughs> yeah, must have been awesome. <laughs> yeah. So 2005 to 2007 wasn't that bad. It's just when we hit like 2008, and that's when we had started to talk about having a family. I mean, I don't know how much we're different in age. I'm 35 right now, I think, born in 84. You forget when you get older, right? Like there's something to that where I used to know right on. I know my kids are six and eight, however, so <laughs> that's <mom> good. <laughs> So I'm curious, actually, from a mindset perspective, because it wasn't probably until one or two years ago that I realized that like sales is the holy grail of if you want to scale your income to infinity, basically. And clearly you're bright. You graduated college at 19. But could you kind of talk about like, did you always have this inclination towards sales because you knew that basically the sky was the limit? Yeah. And I would relate that back to the whole waitressing thing, because I think I figured that out really early on that if there's a way for me to take the same amount of time and increase the amount of revenue that I'm able to produce from that, like I would rather have that little bit of risk of either not having a salary or having a small base salary, but that upside of commission, because I want to get paid based on my effort. And it's not necessarily always working harder or working longer. It's the working smarter that we're all after at this point in time, right? My parents are kind of interesting in that my parents divorced when I was like five years old. My dad wasn't the greatest role model. Although I think if anything, I get my entrepreneurial spirit from him. So way back in the day, for example, he used to train like racehorses and, and that to some extent is falls into that risk reward type of environment, I guess, where my mom, on the other hand, is really cautious. And a big part of that might be the fact that she was raising three kids without any additional support from her spouse or from our father. And so she just had to eat and get by. And so the risk part of it wasn't even in the equation for her. Like she couldn't risk anything, but it was interesting because I think I got to see both sides of that. I got to see the bad side of the risk for sure. But then I was drawn into that sales. I was drawn into how do I really make my time impactful and be able to scale as much as I can within the environment that I'm producing. And when I said that I hit the glass ceiling really early on in that other career in the weight loss industry, it was true. I could like I had applied for the next position up, which would be like a territorial type of manager, or I could fly to California and move out there. And that would be the next step up. Otherwise there was nothing. And I knew at that time that, Hey, I'm too young to like cap myself. I'm not going to like promise to be here for the end of time and not make any money or any more money. Like I knew that like I'd already very quickly hit that threshold. And so I needed to find something different to challenge myself and get to that next level. And it's not like I was a baller, you know, I was probably making like $30,000 a year. It's just like, <laughs> That was what I had been capped at being able to do with the base salary and then capitalizing on all of the bonuses that I could in commissions. Continuing on a little bit with the, the sales theme, you know, there might be somebody out there listening who doesn't necessarily want to go out and start their own business or maybe not becoming a, a financial advisor, but they may be interested in this concept of, hey, you know, get into a job where I get to kind of control my salary based on my performance in one of these sales jobs. If you're giving somebody advice to know whether or not that might be a good fit for them, are there some kind of specific personality traits or things or skills that you would recommend them like kind of self-assessing before they jumped into that? I think that you'll build a tough skin the more that you put yourself in that environment. So I don't know that you're like born with that trait, but you have to probably see the risk reward calculation and be intrigued enough for the potential reward to put yourself through some discomfort. That's typically when we grow the most, right, is when we put ourselves in kind of uncomfortable situations. We also learn the most when we fail at stuff. So if you are totally against all risk and totally against all rejection, sales is not going to be a great environment for you. But if you're willing to challenge yourself and you see that potential on the upside, then I think that it, it's a great way to learn and grow in your career. You should also pick something to sell that you're passionate about. So I think that's where some salespeople fail is they can't confidently stand behind the product that they're trying to get out there and convert on. And so they don't do it very well and totally makes sense to me. Or some people will do really well selling something they don't believe in and then they feel sh shitty about themselves. I don't know if I can swear on this podcast. Sorry about that. 
But either one of those not being effective or being effective, but feeling crappy about yourself, neither one of those is a good option in my opinion. So pick something that you can stand behind and get really excited about. All right. So back to your story, Gina, you are a financial advisor. You're 21 years old. What do the next couple of years look like? I know probably when you started out, you did not have this huge portfolio where you're bringing in all the, you're bringing home the bacon. You said you're making maybe 30 grand a year, but did you start to build like a really big client base? And what do those next few years look like? Yeah. So that's what I was actually trying to say before is remember the fact that in this environment, right before the great recession hit, gas prices were like $5 a gallon. Both me and my husband were commuting more than 30 miles each way to work. And when we added up what we were putting into our cars between car payments, insurance, gas prices, it was more than what we were paying on our mortgage and our living expenses. It was insane. And so then uh, around the corner came the recession. I had Oh, I was really goal oriented and and there were goals that our company had set. And so definitely I was like top performer my first year. And, you know, a lot of people knew people that helped them to get a, a head start. And so the interesting thing is, is we were all in the same environment based on, you know, qualifying through an interview process and getting hired but not all of us were the same being brand new in the financial services industry. So for example, one of the people that I started with, he started like six months behind me. He had gone to a private college, majored in finance in the cities here in Minnesota. And he came out with over $100,000 in student loan debt. So that was one of my peers. Another gal probably had her college paid for and she came from a very wealthy family and her entry into the financial services world was a little easier because she had somebody move over a couple million bucks within her first week of starting, right? So I did not know the right people where I could just kind of tap into my existing network at that time and, and make a bunch of big deals or anything like that. But I knew how to hustle already and that served me well. So I did... Well, as far as the company standards, I started to get a book of business underneath me. We also sold things like insurance and then the actual financial planning. We charged a fee for that as well. And that was kind of my bread and butter for a while there, analyzing people's situations, giving them advice, helping them to take that next step forward to a financially secure future. And then the Great Recession hit and I started interviewing around and I ended up getting hired by a small practice that was within the same company where I was on the employee side. They were actually on the franchise side and I became a support person for them. And I brought a small portion of my client base along with me. And that was kind of one of those divine interventions in my career because I was able to continue on. I had some things that I was really, really great at that I got to bring to the table there. I got to bring the, my favorite clients along with me. And then I walked into some more stability during a very unstable time. And then as the market improved and my relationship with this office improved as well, Wade and I started our family. So I had both children while I was there working in finance. And I ended up being in that industry for about a decade before I quit it all to be this online entrepreneur that I am today. <laughs> so leading up to that big leap over to that kind of a traditional corporate life to being your own boss, what were some of the goals that you set to know that this is something that would actually work? For changing and completely going out on my own and, and doing the online thing, you mean? Yeah. Well, if we back up just a little bit, the year prior to me starting my online business, which started as a freelance writing side hustle in May of 2014, not quite a year prior, my husband had quit his job in corporate to become a stay-at-home dad. So our second child was born and we didn't think it would be possible to be a one-income household, but we crunched the numbers, cut everything we possibly could from our budget, and then he uh, quit his job to become a stay-at-home dad and to toot his horn a little bit. Like that was always kind of a goal and, and dream of his, even though we didn't really think it was a reality based on how we were raised societally. But that wasn't my goal. I love my children to death, but I was not itching to be the stay-at-home mom. I'm definitely the career person and I've enjoyed being the breadwinner. So anyways, he quits his job in 2013 and I am kind of feeling that itch all of that next year. And I'm like, what am I going to do? Because I, I was... 29, I think at the time, and I'm thinking about the next 30 years of my own life because, you know, 60 is kind of on the early side of retirement and this is the industry that I'm in. And so I'm always talking about money. And 
like, I just, I don't think I can do this for another 30 years. You know, we're, we're just going like paperless as a company and like the financial industry is like, and the tech industry are not on the same page. So they're like the last ones to adopt like all of the things when it comes to tech. Right. And so I was just thinking about the trends that were coming and it just didn't seem super appealing to me. But I stuck it out because I kind of needed to at that point. And I had a lot of really good things going for me. So on paper, my life was amazing. I got paid pretty well for what I did. I was able to support our family for sure. I worked less than 10 minutes from home in Minnesota. That whole commute thing is a big deal when the snow flies, right? And this family practice that I worked a part of, they were all family members and I was the only non-family member, but they treated me like family. Like when my first was born, I brought them into the office on Wednesdays for the first couple of months. That was a nightmare. Don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to be a first time mom and then also be good at my job. And it just did not work. Like I wasn't effective at either one of them, but it was an interesting experiment. So anyways, you know, here I am the breadwinner. I'm getting this itch and I'm not sure what's next. And I start reading all the things. I start reading John Acuff. If you don't know him, he's from like the Nashville area, big into like public speaking and entrepreneurship. He was on Dave Ramsey's team for a little bit, an amazing writer. Started following Tim Ferriss and the four hour work week and all of these different entrepreneurial blogs and things like that. And I came across freelance writing and I'm like, that's something I'm good at. That's something that I could try. Even though I don't have a journalism background, I have a passion for communication and for writing. You know, it's way better than speaking live because you can edit yourself and put out a really perfect product on the back end. And so I I did. That's what I did. I started doing that on the side. My very first client was secured through a Facebook group that was actually 30 Days of Hustle, which was John Acuff's like community that he had built based off of the the books that he had produced. And I was hired to ghostwrite gluten-free coupon articles. <laughs> I was not gluten-free and I was not really a couponer. <laughs> but you know what? I figured it out. And I think I got paid $25 an article. So maybe a whole 50 bucks for those two. <laughs> and then my one of my next gigs after that, that was paid. So, I, you know, I'm trying to develop my portfolio and get myself out there. And same thing with starting in, you know, personal finance and building a practice or any other of the sales roles. Like I'm a hustler, like I'll get out there and do the work that it takes in order to, you know, learn the skills and get the first few clients because, you know, it's always easier after you get the first few and you can charge higher rates and things like that. So the next client that I had, I wrote WordPress theme descriptions when I didn't really understand what WordPress was, even though I had it installed on my website and uh, theme, like I just, it, again, it was like the options thing. It just didn't compute to me at that time. You know, I'm pleased to say I'm a little bit more tech savvy than when I started. Yeah. So I started writing things that I knew nothing about, but I was confident enough to know that I could research them and figure them out. And that was the start. And I started to make a little bit of money and saw the potential added a virtual assistant client to the mix by doing some customer service and some email management. And within eight months, I had put in kind of my notice. They bought my small practice, which was another blessing for me. And in 2015, I was full-time online and the husband was still a stay-at-home dad. All right. So I got to just kind of dig into the numbers here because we're all about numbers on the Fi Show. And I've seen this graphic when I was doing my research And this wasn't like some small chump change that you were making. I'm pretty sure toward the end of your freelance and W2ing, you were making like, what, seven or eight grand a month or something like that doing freelance writing and VA work? Yeah. So I I was making probably about $60,000 a year in my like full-time job, around $5,000 a month. And then I was able to pull in, I think, $4,000 a month additionally in the month of September. So if I started in May, fast forward to September, within like a four-month period of time or so. And that would be in addition to my day job income. So yeah, sounds about right. (laughs) How did you possibly manage that with, was it you already had the second kid at this point? Yep. So I started my (laughs) freelance uh, writing side hustle when Shelby was just 10 months old. So I was still breastfeeding her and working full time and trying to juggle it all. 
You know, what's funny is that I just started a thread within our community the other day because I love babies and I don't know that I'm going to have any more. So I'm just excited when people have babies and they show their pictures. And so somebody posted and tagged me in the community and said, you know, that she was blessed to have this VA journey and, and go through the course and have started her business prior to having this bundle of joy. And and so then I started a thread asking who else had had babies since they started their VA businesses and all these people chimed in. And sometimes I'll be like, are you crazy? Like, do you know how much you're juggling right now? And then I'll take a step back and be like, oh, but that's what I did. (laughs) (laughs) There's something about, you know, those little people. And there are other whys that you can have that will motivate you just as much. But for a lot of moms, it's having those those little people and, and wanting to be around them as much as possible that really motivates them to do whatever it takes. So I used to get up at four, four 30 in the morning to do my little side hustle. Cause I'm creative more in the morning time. And I knew my house would be quiet. I used to have to sneak downstairs cause my son, and he does this to this day. If I try and get up before like seven o'clock in the morning and he hears me because you know, the floor squeaks, right? You know, my bedroom's right next to his that he'll be like, Oh, it's time to wake up. Then I go see what mom's doing. And it's nice cause he wants to be with me, but then it, I don't get anything done early like I used to. So fun stuff. Side hustling, being a parent, juggling it all. You talked earlier about how, you know, it was a goal for your husband to be a, a stay at home dad, but not really yours. And you're very career, you know, you have a very career mindset. So going to this, you know, working online, entrepreneurial type employment, I imagine that then you're kind of working from home. And like, what did that do to you from like a psychological standpoint of no longer going away from the family, going to the office and being kind of in it all day? Yeah, that's a a great point and something I should probably spend a little more time reflecting on. I'm not the best reflector. I'm always the what's next and how do I accomplish that thing versus, oh, I achieved my goal. Let's sit in that and celebrate. But I used to work downstairs in our basement, just sitting with our old laptop on my lap. And again, I would get up really early so it would be quiet and I would have privacy. And then once I quit, the very first month that I was full-time, we took our first trip down to South Pottery Island, Texas. So we are going down there next month and this will be our fifth year in a row. Our kids are in school now, first and second grade. And we actually unenroll them from public school in order to homeschool them and go spend like time in paradise, what we consider paradise because we're here in Minnesota and it's like six (laughs) months of winter. So this year we're going down there for two full months. And I bring that up for a couple of reasons. One, because that was my office. Like I can take my office with me wherever I go. My husband was really great from the beginning at like embracing his role as I'm the you know, caregiver, and I'm going to do what I need to in order to entertain the kids and have fun with them and allow my wife to do what she needs to do to, to make money so that this all works. So we've always been a pretty good team in that regard. So then when we got back, I think we started to transition our guest room downstairs into an office. So then I, and even though it like backed up right to the playroom with the kids, if I had the door shut, like we were able to condition them that, Hey, mom's working. So it didn't alleviate all of like the guilt. And I think other women can identify with this if they're the breadwinner, especially like I still felt like I needed to be the primary caregiver and I felt like I needed to be the primary breadwinner, even though nobody asked that of me. So that was a challenge for me early on. I'm definitely a lot better with it now. And it warms my heart to watch my kids play office and like my daughter will be like, oh, I'm talking to my client and I'm, I'm doing email is what she calls it or whatever. Like that's their play work. Right. So they'll get the opportunity to see self-employment and entrepreneurialism from a really young age, which I think is neat. So I graduated from our basement office recently to the space on our property that I'm in right now. And it is a couple of yards from our house but it's completely different from a mindset perspective because I have my own space and I leave the physical house in order to come out here. So this is like kind of next step ideal situation for us for sure. Wait, so is that a she shed? (laughs) It's connected to the he shed. So I don't know what you call that. (laughs) I just heard that term from my uh, business partner, Julie. She was telling me about she sheds and I was like, what is that? And I guess it's a basically what exactly what you're talking about right now, a place where you can go kind of just do your thing and <laughs> not be distracted. Yep. Well, there's a great commercial about the she shit. Oh, there is? It's an insurance one, like for car yeah. insurance, right? That's good. That's awesome. Okay, so Gina, correct me if I'm wrong, but you seem like a super type A type of person. Like you get after it, you have all these different side hustles. 
at what point have you ever hit a wall just thought like okay this is too much i'm going way too hard yeah i so it's 2019 at the end of the year right now as we're recording this and i went to rehab earlier this year in may and it's not something that i've like kept a secret although i do not want to be a poster child for addiction by any means but i drank a bit too much and so now i'm sober I just crossed the six month mark. And I think that was my wake up call that I had done too much. And there's lots of factors that play into it, including upbringing and genetics and all of the things. But I think that was my method of coping with stress. So I would maybe label myself in the past as a workaholic as well. And we all find different ways to escape, right? We all have our own little vices and things like that. So I'm I'm not ashamed, but I had a wake-up call earlier this year, and I'm glad that it happened. I'm better off for it. Well, first off, congratulations for six months of sobriety. That's awesome. And then, you know, while we're on the topic, maybe there's some other people out there who are dealing with a lot of stress or putting too much on their shoulders. What are some things that you've done to tangibly affect how much stress that you're under and manage that? I think, you know, a part of it is maybe taking that breather and saying what's really necessary. And, you know, for a lot of us, we get in that hustle mentality for the survival piece at first, but then we forget that it's not about providing for our families in the same way as when we first started. And we get in this loop of more and achieving the next thing, as I kind of referred to it earlier And honestly, I'm not real motivated by money. Like I like making money. I like being successful, but we're not real high class when it comes to our standard of living. Like our big financial goal right now is to pay off our mortgage. And we're hoping to maybe do that in the next two years and just not owe anybody anything. Like how cool would that be? I know it's not the (laughs) smartest financial decision when you're itemizing taxes and but to us, that empowerment of freedom of knowing we could really sell our house and move anywhere we want. We probably won't, but we could is really amazing. So I would say I tend to operate at a 15 out of 10 and that is unhealthy. And I know it's unhealthy because of disengaging from maybe family life and using work or using alcohol as a way to kind of escape. So I think it's just being honest with yourself on what are kind of my bad habits and why do I go there and what can I do like, is this necessary? Is working this hard and as the, at this pace necessary for the goals that I want to achieve? And if it is, are your goals realistic still? Those of you that feel stressed out, I would just ask yourself, is it necessary? Are your goals still in alignment with your values? I think uh, I've done a lot of values work over the last like five and a half years since I started this entrepreneurial journey. And uh, I think that will be something that I continue to concentrate on. It really helps you to then set goals that are in alignment with your values and figure out what it is that you want for this one life you get to live. So something we haven't really talked about, we've been talking a lot about entrepreneurship and building your businesses. And I definitely want to dive into that in a second because you have, like I said before, like 97 different businesses. But from a just general like thousand foot view of your personal finances, it sounds like you guys are just frugal by nature. Like there's nothing you're not craving for any of these like fancy things. Do you have a game plan and whether it be like a net worth milestone, an age where you want to like really start scaling back travel plans to move somewhere else out of Minnesota, anything like that over the next, I don't know, decade or so? No, I think my husband would like, so he's got a background in construction. His degree is actually in teaching, but he knows how to build like a house from the ground up, which is great because whenever we do home projects, it saves us a lot of money from a contractor standpoint. So he'd like to get something going, flipping houses or doing rental real estate or doing something. So if we continue to progress with my business, that's one way to fund him to get started, which is kind of a, a great goal. We have a couple of pieces of property that we own. One of them we'd like to maybe build like a a cabin or maybe just a tiny home on in the future. But yeah, we don't. That's the hard part when I've been setting goals for like 2020 is yes, we want to like pay off our mortgage so we can feel freedom. But beyond that, there's not much that I do want. Like I I bought a car this year. I bought a 2014 Chevy Cruze that's a diesel (laughs) and we paid $11,000 in cash. And that's amazing to me. I don't need a $60,000 vehicle. And our truck is a 2004. And you know, like it just, those things don't really matter to us. Status doesn't really matter to us. It's more about 
the freedom and flexibility of the life that we have. So when we go down to Texas, we chose that. We looked at Florida, we looked at Arizona, we looked at Southern California, and it was like half the price to go down to Texas as any of those other places. So we'll go down there for like $5,000 that we'll spend. It'll be two months of a beachfront rental that has access to two pools, to a little workout room, and we can like walk everywhere. It's amazing. So you can do that or go to Disney. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's a a really incredible deal and and an awesome way of looking at it. Is there anything in life where you do like to pay a premium for it? It really does make your life better, simpler, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah, that's a great question. In business, I've always believed in investing in myself when it comes to coaching. So I actually spend $3,000 a month right now on my business coach. And we just celebrated our first year of working together. I can say that that has directly impacted our main business, which is Horky Handbook is up 100% year over year in sales. So I think it was successful. Yeah, I'd say so. (laughs) (laughs) And I look forward to continuing to work with him. I also, we work with a personal trainer. So I, I love working with professionals in their realms. And I worked with a personal trainer for years now. And Wade started probably like six months ago. We've been going and working out with Cindy together. And that's fun because he went through quite a transformation. It's so much easier for you guys. It's annoying. <laughs> um, so we'll spend money on stuff like that. And then I tend to favor experiences over stuff. Stuff stresses me out. Talk about stress, like clutter and stuff. I'm not about it. We are totally on board. We are definitely, Justin and I both are huge experienced guys, don't really care about the possession stuff. But something I've been kind of teasing, talking about, could we just kind of dive into all of these different things you got going on? I remember, so just for some context, I met Gina through her Pinterest VA business because we were working on promoting each other's courses with the Gold City Ventures. And then I kind of did some research. I met her at FinCon did some background stuff. I'm like, she has like two books, I think. <laughs> she has this other VA business. She's She has like all these other things going on. Could you talk about all the different businesses and then how you have the time to juggle all of them and do them well? Yeah. So Horky Handbook is, so Horky is my last name. When I started my freelance writing business, I needed a place to put a portfolio. So I bought the URL horkyhandbook.com. I thought it was a great place to marry kind of my writing business with potentially Wade's home woodworking business thing that he had an idea of at the time. So I was not in it to create a products business, but I had this mentor that told me, I sh- he asked me when I was going to create my first product after I had developed my portfolio and my client base and started working with that virtual assistant client. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like, who, who am I to create something? And but I did. And I launched a freelance writing course in December of 2014. And that was the first course that I brought to market, which is 30 days or less to freelance writing success. We're actually revamping it right now. And it's really exciting because it's catching up with the times. Not that it was out of date, but you just continuously have to put in work to that kind of stuff. And I launched my first affiliate program based on the advice of a marketing specialist. So again, I'm always interested in and paying to work with people that know more than I do and shortcut my way to success within reason. And his name was Jonathan Knepper or something like that. I I can see his name, but I can't pronounce it. Anyways, if I wouldn't have launched my affiliate program, I don't think I'd be as far as where I am today. So we probably get like a third of our sales through affiliate partnerships with other people that help us to promote our online courses and things like that. So I had just the one product for that period of time. And then we launched 30 days or less to virtual assistant success, not quite a year after the freelance writing one, and then kind of doubled down on that side because we saw that there was a lot of popularity around the freelance writing side, but not so much around the VA side. And, and you can offer all sorts of services underneath that umbrella. And so we doubled down with content and, and all that good stuff on that side. And then Kristen and I started working together, Kristen Larson from Believe in a Budget on the Pinterest VA course, which is called Become a Pinterest VA Today, because she was my Pinterest VA. And we both had experience doing side hustles and being virtual assistants and offering services. And that was her jam. And she helped us to really grow our account for Horky Handbook on the Pinterest platform. And I don't even remember the conversation that we had, if it was my idea or her idea or whose idea it was. But it's a super niche specific course that has done really, really well for us. And we use both of our existing online platforms, Believe in a Budget for her and Horky Handbook for me, 
to launch this course. And at the time, it's a little bit more built out now. But at the time, we only had like a wait list page that we would turn on to a sales page and a checkout provider and an email list. Like that's what we used and the courseware, I guess, to build out this business. And and that's really funny. We didn't have an opt-in. We still don't really have an opt-in. We have a kind of a webinar now where people can get more information and hear from us and learn from us. But it just blew our minds that we were able to be really successful without all those traditional elements. And I think a big part of that, again, is that we had existing platforms to launch off of. And then we had other people through affiliates that helped us to promote it. And then I launched like a fitness brand, which is still in development, which is called Kids Versus Bikini. And mainly it's content right now. But if anybody wants to learn more about competing in a fitness competition, specifically the bikini realm, then you can go and check out that website. That'll be fun because I think that we're going to try and have it not be branded around Gina, which is exhausting at times (laughs) when everything's branded around you personally. And, and treat it more like a niche site and see what we can do with it based on all that we've learned from an SEO perspective and, and all that good stuff. And then uh, more recently, we're just kind of branching out with another really niche specific course called Podcast Assist, which will be for people that want to become podcast virtual assistants and help people to launch, manage and grow a podcast for small business owners. And then Chris and I have something else cooking right now, too. You are just all across the board. <laughs> That's awesome. I know. It's a, a pretty cool time to be able to strike, though, and offer education around real world experiences of entrepreneurship. And we're, again, we're utilizing what has worked for us, what we're tuned into in the marketplace, the opportunities that we see. So the newest one is called Diva Dog Bakery. And she actually started this herself back in 2007 and made baked dog treats for a living. And so we're going to help people to start their own pop-up shops and online stores doing the same thing. She had her dog treats in like the gift bags that they gave out on the red carpet once. It was like profile the magazines and like super fun. But yeah, we have our our hands in all sorts of different things. And a lot of it is in the e-learning space. Well, Gina, you obviously have your hands full. You've got a ton going on and so much so that I'm sure we didn't cover everything in the episode. And if people want to learn more about all these things you've got going on and you and your story or just get in contact with you, where's a good place for them to do that? That is a great question. For now, you can just go to HorkeyHandbook.com, H-O-R-K-E-Y Handbook.com. GinaHorkey.com will be live after the first of the year and we'll have our own podcast with my lovely husband that I referenced earlier. We're going to we're going to talk about all of these things in more detail. Awesome. All right. And a question we like to ask all of our guests, and I know you were itching to answer this one is what is your number one tip for those on the path to financial independence? Yes. So I think this is such a great question. And I bet you guys have gotten all sorts of creative answers. But personally, I think that you have to figure out what you want for your own life. And finances just play such a heavy part in that. But don't do things because society told you to. You know, when we're raising our children, we started to set money aside for college because that's what you do as responsible parents, right? Is create a college fund. But I'm not sure that we're going to push them in that direction. If they want to become some sort of specialized something or another, like a pediatric surgeon, they'll probably have to go to college. But they might also choose another entrepreneurial path that doesn't require the same institutionalized education. So I would say to figure out really what's important to you. For us, it is not waiting until we are retired to live our lives. It's to find a combination of being able to do what we want now within reason. So we're setting money aside for the future, but we're not setting all of it aside and not being able to experience and live today. That's a great input there. I think that thinking about what you actually want is the is number one key. Sometimes we get a little too focused around the spreadsheets and the numbers and lose track a little bit of the mental aspect of it. So I think that's a great put. Now it's time for the very last question that you'll have to answer from us. It's the one that I'm not prepared for. Cody's not prepared for. You heard us talking about like which one of us was even going to ask it. So of course, <laughs> we're not prepared. But are you ready for the wild card question? Sure, let's do this. All right. So even though I know this isn't something that maybe you went completely through with, I'm curious, living in Minnesota, because I got friends from Minnesota, and I've always thought like, 
how did you just stay there this long? It's so cold. So give me like a funny story of where you're in Minnesota and you're just ready to like grab the kids, throw them in the car and move to Florida. Like you're done with it. Yeah. You know, probably last winter or the winter before I had gone closer to the cities to meet those high school girlfriends that I talked about earlier for dinner. And I don't dress up very much. Like when I retired from corporate America, I got rid of all of my dress up clothes on purpose because I'd rather wear jeans or yoga pants or whatever. Nobody cares, especially what you're wearing from the waist down when you work online and you're doing video chats and things like that. So anyways, I get kind of dressed up, which probably meant jeans and high heels (laughs) for me and go and meet them. And we have somewhat of a mini blizzard and I'm driving back home and I don't like driving in the snow and I'm not that great driving in the dark. And then you have icy roads and I'm fine. Like I can drive. It's just not my preference. And so I am literally two, three miles from home and I hit a patch and I go in the ditch and I call my husband who had answered the phone when I left because it's later, it's like 11 midnight, something like that. And he does not answer. And I wore these dumb high heel boots that I don't <laughs> normally wear. And I don't like wearing a jacket either. So I had probably <laughs> my vest, no gloves, no hat. It's 20 degrees outside. It's midnight. It's snowing. And I luckily did not panic and did not overthink it. And I was able to pull myself out of the ditch through some great maneuvering and driving and drove myself home. But I was like, this is no, thank God we go to Texas, but we need to extend it. (laughs) I know it would have been at your expense, but I was hoping that you like walked home three miles or something. That would have been crazy. I did wake him up and I gave him a talking to for not answering his phone. The funny thing is, is we're kind of rural, so we don't even have Uber. We definitely don't have Uber Eats. We can't even get a pizza delivered to where we live. (laughs) So there's not a lot of traffic coming through at that time in a snowstorm either. All right, Gina. Well, just want to thank you again so much for coming on today, sharing your entrepreneurial journey. You came up from a poor background. Now you're crushing it with these 97 businesses that we've been talking about this entire episode. So thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to hang with us. You bet. I had more laughs on this episode than I thought. So it's been a good time. Man, Cody, just another great episode. I thought Gina had a really incredible story and was just so genuine. What'd you think about the episode? Yeah, Gina's definitely someone who I can resonate with a lot, being a type A person who's always like trying to find the next new side hustle. And she just didn't stop. Like she was grind, 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 grind. One of the parts in her story that was like, whoa was when she's doing her corporate job, she's in financial advising, she's doing all these side hustles on the side, like freelance writing, and she's bringing her baby in on Wednesdays to just like hold while she's at work. Like she's just the stereotypical hustler and it's definitely paid off because it seems like now she's kind of designing the life she wants and building her own schedule. Yeah, I mean, this was another example of someone who was going down that kind of corporate route and realized they weren't fulfilled and just took action and got out of it. And that's the thing that, unfortunately, we see a lot of people don't do. They, they stay in those situations where they're not happy. And I don't want to ever say that the corporate life is the wrong one because, I mean, that's what I do. But some people enjoy it and thrive in it, and some people don't. So if you're not enjoying it, you're not thriving on it, start looking for you know these alternative paths you can start building up on your side. And that's what Gina did. And once she kind of figured it out once, she's like, I, I really enjoy this, and I like this. And she started doing it again and again. And now you know she's got several different businesses and books and just helping so many people. And another recurring theme I noticed from this episode, and we've seen this so much through all our interviewees in the Five Show, Justin, is like when people couple frugality with like mega entrepreneurship or just crushing it in a corporate role, that is like the recipe for just absolutely dominating your personal finances. Like Gina mentioned, she's earning well into the six figures, but she's still living in rural Minnesota where she can barely get a pizza delivered to her door, not spending a ton of money, just sticking to her frugal roots. So when you kind of couple those two things, it's honestly, you're like an unstoppable personal finance power. Your savings rate just goes through the roof and it allows you to have so many more options. Yeah. And the last thing that stood out to me was another one of these like assumptions kind of things that don't always put out to be true. So people who look at these individuals who create all these different side businesses and they're kind of their own boss and they're very envious of them because I mean, it is very cool, but it's looked at as just all, you know, sunshine and rainbows and like there's no stress there, which is so far from the truth because, you know, if this business fails, it's kind of on you and you could tell that Gina 
at first did have a lot of stress and that turned into this issue with alcohol, which she's overcome and now she's tackled it and she's kind of restructured her life in a way that is a lot less stressful, not taking on too much. So it's kind of that spectrum, like don't find yourself in this, in a corporate cubicle. If you hate that life, get out of it. But then once you, when you start getting out of it, you got to grind hard to make something work, but just be careful, like put some guardrails up, make sure, you know, you have some limitations set on yourself so that you don't go too far. And I mean, Gina is a case example of going too far. She even mentioned she was struggling with drinking because it was just a coping mechanism. She was working in these super long days, you know, 12, 16 hour days, still trying to be a mom, still trying to crush it in corporate and doing her side hustles. And it just became too much. And she kind of looked to drinking as a release. But now Gina mentioned she's been sober for six months now. And she just is so much more productive. She feels better in the morning and she's learned to slow down and cope with stress in different ways. So no matter what it is, no matter what your coping mechanism is, if you are putting up these walls, if you are putting up these things because you're so stressed out, you're going so hard toward that path of financial independence, take a look at yourself and see if you do have any of these damaging habits. Yeah, Cody, I, mean, I think it goes back to a lot like the last episode with that kind of fire or mentality, this, you know, optional retirement. You know, the mentality is, hey, you're going down this path, you're doing better than 99% of people, you're getting there super fast, it's okay to slow down a little bit if that is driving this stress. So just make sure you enjoy the ride, be healthy, so that you can get to the end whole. But Justin, don't forget that. Whoa. What is it, Cody? It's a call of action, man. And so this week's call to action, Gina is definitely a course master. We mentioned a couple of her courses during this episode, and she's just teaching people how to make money in so many different facets. So whether it's side hustling, whether it's something else you're remotely interested in, you don't have to buy a course right away, but go watch a couple of free YouTube videos, you know, go look at some Google tutorials, maybe some written tutorials and see if this thing that you're thinking about doing is something that you could envision yourself doing for a couple hours a week. And especially with a side hustling piece, if you're someone who really doesn't like their corporate job, you can at least have this as, you know, a little extra income stream. And then like Gina, this thing can build up and build up and build up. And eventually, maybe you can start making multiple thousands of dollars. Or it could be something completely outside of side hustling. It could be getting better at a sport, getting better in some kind of other facet of your life. So that is this week's call to action. It's a great call to action, Cody. And this was a great episode. And if you enjoyed it as much as we did, you can go out, look at all the show notes and find those links so that you can continue to follow along with Gina's story at thefyshow.com slash Gina. And as always, we'd like to invite you to our awesome, inclusive community group where you can come in, ask those questions you've been wondering about, share your progress, share your stories in our Facebook group at thefyshow.com slash community. And then we always like to ask, if you have time, those five-star reviews on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts help us so much to get these great stories like Gina's. Thanks for listening. See you on next week's episode of The Fi Show. 